Welcome to our weekly, we mean weekly Wednesday night shiur. Today, of course, as you all know, the date was Bay's year. For that time, we dedicate the shiur each week to the memory of Nachman Yaakov Ben Shitzi Hirsch and Batshevachana, Allah Shalom, Basibodlo, Avram Shiyichia. Today was Bay's year, the yard site of the Rebbe Rashab. This Shabbos we're going to read, we're going to start the new Chumash, the new book of Leviticus, Vayikra, that's one that I can pronounce. And, of course, the beginning, the book of all the sacrifices, talking about all the sacrifices that happen, that are brought. And Yes. And of course also we will touch on to the halachas pertaining to the upcoming holiday, the Yom Tif of Pesach. The Yom Tif of Pesach would like to discuss different halachas, so we'll discuss maybe a little bit about questions and answers on the actual Haggadah, on the actual Minhagim. We start with Chumash of Vayikra. <laughs> Actually, prior to that, I'd like to just read today's Hayyim Yayim. Sorry, not Bez Yir. Why am I saying Bez Yir the whole time? It's Bez Nissan. Second day of the month of Nissan, which is the Rebbe Rashab, not the Rebbe Rash. Today's Ayyem Yem, the Rebbe writes the outside of my father, the Rebbe of Shalom Leiber. The Ayyem Yem actually is written by the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, the Rebbe Rayat. And he writes that today is the outside of his father, Shalom Leiber, who passed away on. Early Yom Rishon, which is Matzah Shabbos, second of Nissan five six eight zero nineteen twenty, in a city known as Rostov, and it's interesting they are running a campaign now to try to restore the ale in Rostov. Apparently, it's very neglected. Rostov, Rostov, undone. For those of you who want to go sightseeing somewhere. Exotic, Rostov Andan must be very, very, it is generally very beautiful because the um, it's on the water and everything else, but it's definitely not the place you want to go. It's still war-torn in a literal sense. I mean, it's, when I was there, I have been there quite a while actually, 1994 was the last time I was there. Um, we stood there by the aisle at night. And it literally sounded like it was, and there was gunshots constantly, constantly going. And it was scary. <laughs> what should I say? It was downright scary. Um, we came into the airport, and um, we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know where we were, actually. We finally got hold of the shliach. He came running to the airport, literally what he felt was to save our lives. Because the place is so bad. But all the water is fine. 
Thank you. This bottle head is filled up with the water from the sink in the kitchen. So the tea and the ale and the stove is right now in um, ill repair, shall we say. And there's a campaign ongoing, if you look it up. I don't know how they, what they name it as, what they label it as. It's a stove. First, Maimah. The Rebbe Rashab said, delivered, after the passing of his father, the Rebbe Marash, was on the second day of Chalamay Tzukis, and it started Kesa Yitnulacha. The last public Maimah in his lifetime, he said on Purim, By the Suda, and the Mamaschus Reish is going Mamolik, Kate Sam Lacheshech. That was basically today's Ayem Yem. Also mentioned, starting from Meshkedish Nisan, I believe we said it last week as well. From Mishkedish Nisan, each day we recite the Nasi. The Nasi is the Nasi that brought a carbon that day during the dedication of the temple, of the tabernacle. The reason that we don't say throughout the entire month of Mishkedish Nisan, we do not say Tachanun is because the first 12 days we celebrate with the Nisim that brought their carbonus, their sacrifices. Then we have 8 days of month of Nisim, the next 8 days, which are Pesach, again holiday. And since we're now 20 days of holiday, so the majority of the month, we're already not saying Tachnun, we continue and we do not say Tachnun the rest of the month either. So that is the reason that the month of Nisan, the entire month, Tachnun is not recited. And this is pretty much a custom by every circle of Judaism. A very, very happy month, although the month of Adar is called Mishinichlas Adar Marvim Simcha. Others refer to the happy month, the Simcha month, the month which people dance, celebrate, etc. But the month of Nisan is a month that we celebrate Yom Tiv. It's a month considered a, Yom Tiv, a month of Kulei, full Yom Tevim, and therefore the entire month Tachnon is not recited. They say if the uh, non-Jews would know the amount of joy the Jews have when they don't have to say Tachnun, for that joy itself they would convert to Judaism. It's a big simcha. It's like a big yamtif every day. There are those circles of Jews on the days of Hilula, of big tzaddikim, they also don't say Tachnun. And you have those shuls that have books, diaries, or glossary, whatever you want to call them, with all the yard sites. And the Gabbai will promptly say, today is the yard site of this and this Rebbe, and therefore we're not going to say Tachnan. And uh, they don't. So that's all year round. Asheichem, Jews don't sin anymore in this generation. And if God forbid any Jew does sin, we ask his fellow Jew to forgive him and we tell God if his fellow Jew could find it in his heart to forgive him how much easier it is for you to forgive as you are full of compassion and forgiveness and so therefore by us forgiving a fellow Jew as we will talk about later we will we cause and we can prompt 
and can we, we can beseech from the Almighty that He too forgive anyone that had done anything wrong. Untraditionally, I'm going to go to a little bit to the Seder. Why is it customary? By the Seder, the first thing we do is we take the three matzahs. What is the cheshman of the three matzahs? Um, there was a community that was inquired of Rev. Shira Goin. And they asked, why did take three matzahs on Pesach? No less, no more. His reply was, it's an allusion to this in the Tera. Because it says that Sarah took three measures of flour Avram asked her to take, to use for baking the Uge's matzahs, the cakes. According to our tradition, this happened on Pesach night. Others say it's a reminder of the three mountains of the world, the three pillars, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Also we say, Also we say that the three matzahs the Jews ate have a different three reasons. One is while they were slaving in Egypt they were constantly rushed to work and they had to eat matzah because there was no time to let the dough rise. As it says in the Haggadah Stated that God, this is the bread, it's the bread of affliction our fathers ate in the land of Mitzrayim. Another reason is because before, prior to leaving, they were instructed the carbon Pesach, and they were told they have to eat the carbon Pesach on the 15th of Nisan. And a third reason is in the morning, when they left Egypt, they baked matzahs from those they brought out of Egypt. Because they were driven out of Egypt. They couldn't delay. But the three matzahs also, they, we tell, we say, represent Koyin, Levi, and Yisrael. The Koyin, Levi, and Yisrael are three different types of Jews from the different uh, tribes which the Jews come from. So, as we put down Kareem and Levi Yisrael, according to the Chabad, first the bottom matzah Yisrael is put down, then the middle matzah, and on top of that the Kareem. Um The mini Chabad, of course, if you those who are not aware, we do not use an actual Seder plate, in which there is a separate level for the Kareem and Levi Yisrael. They are put basically in, with separation of napkins, between them and thus knowing that this is the top, the middle, and the bottom matzah. Why is it in reverse? The three matzahs, Kayin, Levi, Yisrael, the words Kayin, Levi, Yisrael are an acronym for Kli. Kli means a vessel. This indicates that one is a vessel for receiving Kedusha, holiness, holy revelations that take place from the Seder. When you place it opposite way, Yisrael, Levi, and Kayin, the acronym is forced the other way around. And it's Yelech, which means to go and to proceed. This indicates the Seder is not only intended to make a Jew a vessel to receive Kedusha, 
but it prepares him to propel himself to greater heights of Kedusha till he ultimately reaches the level of complete spiritual redemption. And that's therefore why we put the Yisrael, Levi, and Koyin, which is the Lashon of Yelech, that a person needs to be a constant in journey. A Jew needs to constantly journey and project themselves and to keep going and to go and achieve from higher and higher. And I told the story before, so those that are um, religious listeners or that sit with the archives have heard the story many, many times of a Balshuva. A fellow that was a Balshuva living here in Crown Heights. He had become from, and his family was not yet from. And he had gone home to visit his family. He went home to visit his family. And his family, and he was sitting and discussing with his brother, Judaism. Yiddishkeit. As he was discussing Yiddishkeit, he told his brother the concept of going Mikhail Khail. That you can't suffice yourself where you are, you need to constantly look to achieve higher and higher. And he gave him an example. When you climb a mountain, when you climb a mountain, you can't just be complacent and stop in the middle of the mountain. You need to look up at the top of the mountain, and you need to cheat, to rise and to go higher and higher. That was the end of it. <laughs> Fellow went home to his family in Crown Heights, and his brother stayed with his family, with his parents. A while later, the brother came to visit his brother in Crown Heights for Shabbos. As soon as he walked into the house, the first thing that greets usually a person in the house of Chabad is a picture of the Rebbe. He looks at the picture and he gets shocked. He asks his brother, who's that? His brother says, what do you mean, who's that? That's the Rebbe. Why are you uh, so moved from it? I'll tell you the truth. The night, the time you came to visit us, you told us an example. You told me an example. Climbing a mountain. How a person needs to thrive to go higher and higher. You can't just be stopped middle. <coughs> that night I had a dream. I had a dream I was climbing a mountain. And I got stuck in the middle. I couldn't go any further. And I was standing there and I was holding, I was teetering. I was falling. And all of a sudden, I looked to the side, and this man in this picture was standing there. His beard was blowing in the wind, and he was waving with his hand. And each time he motioned with his hand, it gave me more strength. But he motioned, and I understood from the motion, and it said, go ahead, forge ahead. Don't, don't give up. And I did just that. And it was the hand, the strength of his hand, that gave me the strength to continue and to persevere and to rise higher and higher. And now I see who, who it is. I see this is the Rebbe himself. So this is the concept of Yelech, and therefore meaning Chabad, is we put in first the Yisrael, then the Levi, then the Kohen. Huh? It depends. Adam ki yakriv mikem korban lashem. As a child, I must have been twelve and a half years old before my mitzvah. 
Yeah. Lift up the pen, please. I know. The first maimer that we were introduced to was the maimer that could tear Adam Kiyakrim Mikem. The words, a man who should bring an offering to God. But the wording actually doesn't read that way. Adam Kiyakrev Mikem, a person that will sacrifice from within you, from you. So to, it reads, in other words, the person himself is sacrificing from within himself. What is this whole idea? An animal, bringing an animal and sacrificing an animal. This whole idea is just a mystifying issue. Why the physical slaughter and burning of an animal be our primary form of what you're calling divine worship? can't find anything more more spiritual exercise that a Jew attaches himself to God with wouldn't it just be a person sitting and spiritually involving himself in prayer and in, in repentance would that not suffice wouldn't that be better wouldn't that be a more of a direct line more suitable for a temp- for the service of the temple. But the truth is, however, the significance of this Kabbanis the significance itself is within this lack of spiritual experience. The Taylor's word for a sacrifice is Karban. Karban the word carbon comes from karayv, closer. What does that indicate? That the purpose of the carbon is to bring the person, to arouse the person spiritually, so that he can express his inherent closeness to God. When you do a mitzvah, you give tzedakah, you help a fellow, you put on your tzvillin, you're wrapping yourself in your tefillin. You're wrapping yourself in your talus and your tzitzis. Whoops. I forgot to turn up the sound. Middle of a shear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just in the middle of a shear. Right. Okay. Okay. Huh. It must be the Seder. <laughs> We're getting babka. What is it? This is babka. This is the real stuff. This is not piece of cake. But I thought the name of him in this. Mm. I'm good. I'm not. Yeah. No. I don't know. I'm middle of giving a share. I'm middle of giving a share. This is what brings the person closer than even the mitzvahs that a person does is the actual taking this physical sacrifice oh boy an unbreakable bond between the person and Hashem
So through a Jew offering an actual carbon, the spiritual value, which is not obvious to it, because you see the blood and burning the fats and everything else that has to happen. <coughs> but this is the des- what God finds desirable, and this is what God waits for. How does this work in our own service to God? It's known that the concept of kavanas, the main thing is not just the actual bringing of the carbon, but the actual kavana and the machshavas adam, the intentions and the thoughts that a person has when he brings the carbon. The Razal say, the end of Mesechus Menachus, Echad Hamarbev, Echad Hamamit Bevad. It doesn't matter if you add, if you subtract. The main thing is you should have your proper intentions to heaven. All carbonists that were brought for kapara, for forgiveness, the kapara is pending on the kavana of the person, on the intention the person has while he's bringing it. The Ramban writes, that during the sacrifice of a carbon, the person, the one that's bringing it, needs to think. He sinned to God, his body, his soul, and he's fit now to his blood to be spilled and his, his body, his corpse to be burnt. However, because of the chesed, the kindness, the forgiveness of our Creator, the Creator is taking an exchange from us. And He's taking the blood of the animal instead of our blood. He's taking the body, the soul, the body of the, the, the actual form of the animal instead of our form. So again, like we said, carbon is the notion of Kiruv. It brings together all our strengths, all our talents to serve and to connect to God still have a little bit it raises a question mm-hmm. if the main kabonis the main concept of kabonis is the not the actual bringing the carbon but rather the thought thinking of the carbon Lachshavas in that case Taylor should talk about it. Taylor says, Adam Kiakrim became carbon. It tells us how to bring the carbon and sacrifice it, has to be shechted, how the blood has to be sprayed, how the, burn, the parts have to be burned, the inners. It doesn't tell us, though, what intentions a person has to have, what kavana a person has to have. This, perhaps, you can say, what, according to what Rashi is explaining here, why does the Taylor of Carbonus. Why does Teres Dinas Carbonus start off with the Carbonus and the Dova? Carbonus of, sac- of, of donation. Because it's only of the Nadivas Halev to the, to the heavens. Because this is what it says. The Tate is telling us that the intentions come before the actual action itself. So Rashi therefore uses the wording, he writes, where Kabanis Nidova Dibera Inyan. These Kabanis that we're talking about here are Kabanis Nidova, the nations. Because the Inyan of Kabanis, the entire Kabanis, the Etzim Kabanis are Nidova. Because the main thing is the Nidova that comes from the heart comes from the mind, comes from the, the person that's bringing the sacrifice. And the, as long as the person bringing the sacrifice has the proper intention, then the sacrifice accomplishes what it needs to accomplish. The question begs to, answer, to, to ask still, 
Teres starts with Teres Nedava, the Kabbanis Nedava of the nation, which are private, not public. The Kabbanis that are brought by the public people is a different different level. Kabbanis that were brought by Nedava, each person brought his own Nedava, <coughs> his own donation. <coughs> this is not civil, it's not public. It comes to the Musaf of Shabbos, the Musafe Shabbos of Yom Tif. This is all brought by the whole Tzibur. But in Vayikra and in Tzav, we don't mention any Karbanis Tzibur. None of the public Karbanis are brought. And simply speaking, the Pasha Karbanis which is Pasha Vayikrash and Tzav, was said before, actually, the Chanukah Samishkan. Before the eighth day of the fulfillment of the, of the dedication of the tabernacle. So according to this, the dinim of the Kabbanis, now Pasha, are said, in order to teach us to teach a Jew about Kabbanis, that they brought immediately when the Mishkan stood. On the eighth day. And that's the case, it's talking about the person, <coughs> what kind of Kabbanis, what kind of sacrifice they had to bring, it's not relevant to talk about the Kabbanis Siburim. The Kabbalah Siburim, the Kabbalahs of the public, were later, they were mentioned later when you talk about Yom Tevim. Right now, right now, <coughs> at this point, in this juncture, when it comes to the Dedication of the tabernacle, it was relevant to people bring their own sacrifices, their private sacrifices. So it doesn't have to talk about Shabbos and Yom Tif. But on the eighth day of the Miluim, which was a Shredish Nisan, they had to know about the Musaf of Shredish. So why should why is it not mention the Musafim, which is a public karm? Because the fact was that whoever brought whoever sacrificed the Kabbana Sibur on the eighth day, on that eighth day, that dedication of that Rishchidish Nisan, who brought the sacrifices? Moshe Rabbeinu. In that case, only he has to know the dinim. If he only had to know the dinim. Then the tailor did not have to go now and explain it until later, all the dinim that are relevant to the Kabbalists. The Pasha goes into a vast array of different subjects. Towards the end of the Pasha it talks about Kachash Ba'amitai. The person did something to his friend. <coughs> and denies it. And swears on the Shekhar. His din, or the one that sins, he took something from the person. He needs to return the item that he stole.
or the Aishik that he was Oshak, or the Pekodin that he was Hifkid, or the loss that he found, the lost item that he found, or anything that he swore on, falsely, he needs to pay it back. And on top of paying back the item itself, he needs to pay back a fifth. Terry tells us the wording of Hamishisov Yosef Olov. A fifth he needs to add on top of this. To whom? Lasher Hulay to him. Yet to give it back on the day that he sins. To return the item that was found, lost, stolen, borrowed, whatever it was, to return it. And to return it now with a fifth. Rashi explains Lasher Hulay. What does the wording mean, Lasher Hulay, which is to him? To the person whose money it was. You borrowed money from somebody, you stole money from somebody, you need to return that money and give him a fifth on top of that. <coughs> All the commentaries jump on this and they ask, what's Rashi trying to tell us here? You're describing how the money needs to be returned, and you're adding the words, Lashar which is to him. Obviously, it's talking about Lashar it means to him, to the person whose money it was. Why is Rashi stating such an obvious fact? He's not just giving an explanation of the simple explanation of, this, of what's going on. But he's going out of, his, out of his league, as we want to say. And he's explaining something that's just plain obvious. There's no reason even to tell him. After all, who else is he giving it to? In later prints of Rashi, he adds, right, <laughs> Why am I saying the words, to the one whose money it is? It's telling you that it comes to exclude his son or his messenger that's coming, to, that's now representing him to accept to accept this money. According to this, you understand, Rashi's intention is to just give us that new point that this Karen and the Chemish has to go back dafke to the person that it was to- taken from, that it was stolen from, and it's not good enough to give it to his son or to a messenger. You have to go to wherever the man is that the money was taken from, and you have to give it to him directly. But in most prints, you don't have these words. It doesn't mention this. And therefore, the only words that we have in Rashi is, are the Misha HaMam Whoever's money it is, he doesn't come to say lafuk, he doesn't come to say exclude such and such. If that's that being the case, we're going back we're back to our question. In the beginning of the Pasha that talks about involves adding this chemish, the Pasik talks about the person that stole, about the person that was stolen from, and he calls him Amitoi, Amisoi. Friend. If our Pasuk we're referring to the person he got it stolen from is that, that was his intention the Pasuk should just read He's being referred to the whole time as Amisai to the friend. Why Why change the wording and not say the actual word Amisai again? 
It's extension of three words. Lasher, Huloi. Why add extra words? You could just say the word Amisai. Because of that, Rashi says, you have to explain the words, Lashulai. That it's not the Kavana to the Nigzal. We would think perhaps that it was not the Kavana, it didn't mean that it had to go back to the person it was stolen from. It could mean it goes back to other people as well. So he says, Rashi comes to teach us now. So Rashi's explanation is not simple. It's not obvious. He's mechadash. He's giving us a new point. That's why the Pasuk goes through the great lengths of saying the words, the extra words. Instead of saying, I'm saying, he says, Mashulay. But we still don't have it down pat here what's going on in this Pasuk. The words Lasher Huloi, which is to him, are extra entirely. We understand from itself the person stole money from Ruvain. He has to pay it back to Ruvain, he has to give him back a fifth. Because he stole his money. So why does the Pasuk have to tell me the words Lasher Huloi in order to tell me that? Simple reason, merely. The goslin is being punished. The thief is being punished. He needs to pay back a fifth extra as a punishment for the stealing. He did a terrible sin. He stole, he swore falsely. So the Teda gives him a knas, gives him an actual punishment. And what is the punishment? He needs to pay a fifth extra. It's not enough. It's not sufficient just to get him. Now we can understand. It's more, there's more place now to understand this Svara. That by saying this in the Pasuk, it not necessarily means it's going back to the person that it was stolen from. The person is being castigated to pay an extra fifth. He has punishment. Who said the fifth has to go to the owner? The owner has to get back his money. Yeah, he lost his money. He needs his money back. Good, granted. But who says the punishment, the atonement, is if you give it back to the owner of the person the money was stolen from? He can give it anywhere. The main thing is that he has to take it out of his own pocket and give it away. Give it to the Abishta. He swore falsely in God's name. Let him pay God. That's why Rashi is telling us that the Pasuk adds the words Lasherulay. That this Khaimish, this fifth that he has to add, he needs to give it to the person who stole it from. The But what does he say? He doesn't say the person who stole it from. He says, Rashi, To the one that the money belongs to. Even though the Khaira, because he stole the money, I took from the hundred dollars, I had to give him back his hundred dollars. The obligation on the Goslin by adding this fifth is shaykh to the actual uh, principal money of the person it was stolen from. Since it's his money, let's, let us say he could have invested the money and earned on it. Let us say the Agamus Nefesh, the pain that he had that he didn't have the money, whatever it might have been. For that reason, the compensation needs to be given to the person that it actually was taken away from. 
therefore it goes the Misha Hamam and Shalai, the person whose money it was. Another Chiddush in this concept. He has to give a Chemish to the Nigzal, Lashar Hulay. We could learn this from another Pasik. There are previous Psukim in Pasha Mishpatim talked about stealing. They caught a Ganev and they punish him. A regular Ganev pays the Kefel, Pishnayim. Double, triple, quadruples, quintuple. Depends on what was done. If he slaughtered the animal, over there also, we say that the Ganef will receive what was given, what was lost. The extra that he has to give, that the Ganav has to pay, he has to pay to anyone. He has to give charity for that amount. The main thing is he shouldn't own that money anymore. So from there we see, in actual in Mishpatim, we see that the person, no, the extra money he has to give, he can give it anywhere. Basik says, Chamisha, Bokan, Yishalom, Tachas Asher, not to the Baalim, not to the owners. Varbat Saint, Tachas Asher. And Yimotzegan, Yishalom, Shnayim, it says twice, Yishalom, you should just pay it. It doesn't say to whom. So it doesn't say who he has to pay to. So we understand ourselves that it could go anywhere. It's a punishment. In one place, though, the potato says, the Tesis is given the Haganav in a place that the Shemer says that it was stolen. Somebody gave him a Pekadon to watch. Somebody gave him an animal to watch it. And when the guy came to get back his thing, he says, no, it was stolen. And uh, I don't have it anymore. And he swears and he says, that's what the situation is. Witnesses then came and they testified that the begotten still was in this guy's hand. And he wanted to steal it. He wanted to say later it was gone. And they would walk away and that was it. And he'd say, okay, to become his. Becoming his means he steals it. In that, pay, in that case, he has to pay Kefel. And the tailor says, who does he have to pay it to? He, he sinned against God, therefore he has to pay double to his friend. They owe me to his friend, to, to the people, the owners of which he wanted to rob. Why over there does it say different? By a regular thief, it's simple. Anything that comes to the Ganev, Karen, the Tesis, to the, to the Nignev, excuse me, the person that was robbed, the, the main money, the, the principal money, and the extra money, and everything he's punished for, Taylor doesn't have to tell us that. By a shamer, a person that was given to watch something, and he wanted to steal. The fact that he swore that he swore falsely about this, and then Adam came along, witnesses came along, and testified against him. It's not against we would think that it's not against the actual Geneva that he has to get paid for. He's paying because he swore falsely. And therefore the Kefal should go to God, whose name he swore falsely on. Therefore the tailor tells us clearly, it goes to the owners, it goes to the person that was stolen from. The question still bounces around a little bit. We learned already in Pash Mishpatim, this whole case of knas, this whole case of punishment that is given to the person that stole. Why does the Pasuk in our Pasha have to tell us again that Lashet Hulei that goes to the man that he stole from? 
there's difference, a major difference in these tasteless, these extra money of Kefal, Chamisha, Arba, Chamisha, which is brought on a Mishpatim, and the Chemish, the fifth that's added over here. In Pasha Mishpatim, the Pasuk adds on the tasteless Knas with the Keren itself. It's one payment, one lump sum. Shalom, Shnayim, pay back two. Double. Quintuple, whatever it is. You're paying back the Keren, the principal, and you're adding to it four or five times. So there's no difference of the actual money. The whole lump sum has to come to the owner. Just like you're giving the actual principal, you pay back the principal, you have to pay back that as well. In our parasha, on the other hand, now, first you pay back the money. Then after you pay back the money, then you have the situation with the fifth, that your punishment that needs to be taken care of. The penalty. So the fifth is an addition, and it's given separately. It doesn't get equal uh, wrapped in with the with the keren. And Allah Chalamaisa, this also comes out that way. By paying the Ganif, the whole Kefel, the Arba Chamisha, he's Chayiv, a Kinas. When the Adam come and they tell about his, his sin. But by the fifth that's being added, when the Gazlan comes in, it's not a result from the fact that he was caught stealing. But afterwards, when he woke, when he came to realization, and he wants to do tshuva, and he wants to confess on his sin, and he recognizes within himself that he has to do tshuva, and he has to confess on the sin, at that point he now pays it. So therefore from here we learn, the addition of a fifth is a separate union, a separate entity. And for this the gazlan is forgiven. It's a part of tshuva, like bringing an actual carbon, an actual sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Not part of the payment itself. It's a repentance, it's a penance. And therefore, by giving a fifth, Bostik has to write a whole new expression. It's not a he suffered, not an addition of what he's giving to the other monies, but this is a kapara lasher hulay he's giving it. That the nigzel is accepting. The Karen, it's not something on its own, but it's something that's the person's actual penance. The Seder has many different dinim to it, many different customs. A very important integral custom is leaning on a side. Shukhanarak tells us, while it's still day, the table should be set up already for the Seder. So that immediately when it gets dark, person's in shul, he goes right home as soon as it gets dark, and you need to start the Seder pronto. Seder needs to start as quick as it may start, as it's allowed to start. And of course the reason being, so that the children stay awake for the Seder, the Teda tells us the entire point of the Seder, talk to the children. But still in all, many of them, Shabbosim even, in the winter time, in the summertime, when it comes very late, people say they're being they're adding Kedusha, spirit and holiness, in the simple day, and they start earlier in the day before it becomes night. Although this is done by every other yomtiv, Pesach you cannot do that. Pesach we cannot start, we cannot make kiddush until it is dark. And what is the reason for that? Because the matzah is compared to the eating of the carbon Pesach. Pasik says, Al Matzot Umrarim Yochluhu. 
that the person needs to eat the matzahs and the meridim together. And in Pesach it says, "Ochlos habaser balayla zayi to meet that day, balayla mamish mamish night." Since Achilles matzah is according to the Tera, and that has to be only by night, therefore also the four cups have to be drank, and the matzah and everything else has to be done dafka by night. The time when you could eat the matzah, you have to do all the other things. Because everything that the Chachamim, that our sages established, go in the same realm as the things that are, that are literally from the Tera. And therefore the case Kiddush, which is the first of the four cups, needs to be by night. And not when you add extra, you add extra from Shabbos, from Chil to, Yom, to Shabbos. To Yom Tov. Everything has to be done leaning over. It doesn't matter what the status of a person is. If it's not a person that's an oval and they're mourning, it doesn't matter even because the it doesn't matter what status of it. If it's 30 days, if it's Shiva or anything else, the fact is that he is not, there's no Shiva. If a person sat, somebody passed away, Erev Pesach, as long as people sat Shiva for an hour, it's not, the Shiva gets broken by Pesach. And therefore the Seder table needs to look as beautiful as possible. And the man needs to do everything leaning to the left side, not to the right, because you can choke on it, but always leaning to the left side, and leaning in a way of royalty, not laying back, and not leaning forward on your hands, and not falling on your head, like like you were mourning for something, like you were worried about something, but to lean back, and to literally lay out, and a person, the table needs to be set in such a way, that the man can actually lean and be able to be comfortable in that, in, that, in that way. We put the most beautiful vessels that we have, that we own, on the Seder table, even if you're not using those vessels, providing, of course, they're not from Chomets, so that the table is, or, is adorned in a most phenomenal fashion, showing the beauty of the Cheres, of the, of the Redemption. And the basis says, Each generation, a person needs to show that as if he's leaving now Egypt. And therefore, as it says in the Passover, because of this thing that the Almighty took me out of Egypt, that's why the Almighty commanded me. You have to remember that you were slaves in Mitzrayim and that we were now redeemed from Mitzrayim. Therefore, we have to do this in a way of a fashion to show the most beautiful and the most glorious way of how a person can possibly do it. Women are not necessarily obligated to lean over. It's not really cheders by them. It's not really if, however, a woman was a royalty, was of a royal descent, or a, just a Choshev, a Rebetzin, then she would, have, she would be able to lean as well. And since we say all the women today are royalty, therefore all women also have that obligation to lean to their left as they drink and as they eat. A child in front of his father even if his father is his actual teacher, he may lean as well, because the father is Michael him. However, in front of your actual teacher, in front of the Rav, if you're having the Seder by the Rav, you may not lean over. 
unless the Rav says to the Talmud, please, I want you to lean over, because that would be a covet for me if you join my Seder that way. And we should merit, that this year the Seder should be in Yerushalayim, Yerakadosh, with Mashiach Tzidkenu. Shabbat Shalom to all.